This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Following the passing of Jackie Mason a few weeks back, I again found myself thinking about Jewish humor. How is it defined and how is it transformed? Do the Marx Brothers have anything at all in common with Sasha Baron Cohen? To explore this topic, I'm delighted to once again speak to Dr. David Slukey, Associate Professor, Australian Centre for Jewish Civilization, and an expert on Jewish life after the Holocaust. Dr. Slukey, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's such a thrill to be talking to you again. Dr. Slukey, the last time we spoke, we spoke about Jewish humour in general and what it was. And I just wondered a little bit, following the passing of Jackie Mason, what it means to be a Jewish comedian. Is it the person or is it the topic? It could be both. It could be that a person is performing jokes that you would perceive as Jewish because they deal with Jewish themes or topics. We could think of them as Jewish because they have a certain kind of Jewish affect. So Jackie Mason, for example, typically told jokes about Jews or or Jewishness. Uh, but always, whatever he joked about, there was a particular, I mean, in his case, an accent, but also a rhythm, a cadence, some kind of sensibility that we recognize as Jewish. So it could be that. Um, it could be things that we don't see overtly as Jewish that kind of inform the kind of themes, the kind of attitudes that underpin the jokes and the humor. So the Jewishness can be obvious and front and center, but it can be a little more something we read into. And it might be something that people who are Jewish recognize in the jokes and the jokes speak particularly to that audience. And maybe other aspects of the joking work for non-Jewish audiences. So, you know, you mentioned Sasha Baron Cohen and I remember going to see Borat in the cinemas, the first version of Borat. And I just remember laughing at really different places to the rest of the presumably non-Jewish audience because, you know, the jokes, there are in-jokes for that audience, but then there's kind of the broader sense of humor. I think all forms of ethnic humor kind of deal with these things where they're sort of speaking to an in-group, but also speaking more broadly to an out-group. When you mention an in-group, I am reminded of the Marx Brothers, and I think I've read every bit of literature that I can find on them. I'm a huge fan, and I still find myself quoting aspects from Night at the Opera, even though you cannot get that movie, and I know you said you're a fan of Duck Soup. They have an in-joke, for example, of hard-boiled eggs because they grew up in poverty, and hard-boiled eggs is kind of the, the standard food that they, they went to. Does that resonate with anybody beyond that family? Well, I think the Marx Brothers... Uh, lay the foundation for so much of 20th century Jewish humor. There's this debate among scholars of Jewish humor and, and humor generally about whether or not we ought to consider the Marx Brothers humor as Jewish humor because they were, I mean, they were enormous. They were massively popular in the United States. And, you know, partly it was because they had the, all these different kind of ethnic tropes that they peddled in. So Groucho was the kind of like, you know, parody of a shyster Jewish stereotype and Chico was the womanizing Italian and Harpo was this like Irish tramp type. And that spoke to like a, an array of urban immigrant audiences who were one of the sort of biggest demographics for films in the 
twenties and thirties. And that sort of carries over through, through the century. I, but I do think, um, you know, the, and the Marx brothers have so many different strengths, whether it's wordplay, uh, or puns or, you know, with grab, I mean, when I teach duck soup to my students, there's a scene early on with Groucho where in about 30 seconds, he must have 10 jokes, just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And, you know, just trying to keep up with that and that rhythm is dizzying and exhilarating at the same time. But then you also have Harpo, who's just a master physical comic and, um, you know, so I think like one of the things about the Marx Brothers is that they do so many different things that then, then carry over and they're masters at all those different things. Oh, in terms of the Jewishness, I mean, I think there's ways in which they're obviously Jewish, particularly early in their career when they use Yiddish words, for example, they sort of pepper their speech with Yiddish words, particularly in earlier films like Animal Crackers. That doesn't carry through later, but also into some of their concerns for you know there's clearly like social and political critique inherence there's a class consciousness I would say you know I always joke with my students about you know all the Marx brothers um because there is some kind of like um, there's got to be some kind of underlying Marxism that also underpins what they're doing you know when you watch Duck Soup and it's this like amazing critique of imperialism and war and capitalism you know, I, I think there's ways in which you could kind of read the Marx Brothers as part of like a broad array of uh, secular Jewish culture in the 20th century. So you wouldn't actually put them down as necessarily Jewish humor in their later years? Oh, no, I still would. I would still consider them Jewish. But I, I do think there's a way in which they sort of tamp down the overt Jewishness, which is very common at the time. It was very common in Hollywood for writers, performers, producers to downplay their Jewishness. I mean, pretty much all the Hollywood studios were owned by second generation Jewish immigrants. And yet if you want to find like overt Jewish themes and characters in films, sure, you've got the jazz singer, which is the first talking movie, but otherwise it's pretty slim pickings to find Jewish storylines. And there's this, you know, and Pali goes back to, you know, that what they're thinking about are the commercial considerations. We have to appeal to a broad audience. So if we're just showing these Jewish characters and themes, and that's not going to appeal to audiences in Ohio, for example. So, you know, there's like commercial considerations that underpin that, but also like there's integration, you know, Jews, are, Jews have this in America in the 1920s and 30s, who have migrated from poverty, from anti-Semitism in Europe, you know, they find this newfound opportunity to be part of the surrounding society. And so there's a kind of bargain that they make. It's a kind of trade-off that outwardly, publicly, in their public professional lives, they are American. And the Jewishness is something that operates on other levels. And so, you know, in that way, Jews come very much to shape American popular culture and popular life through their participation in early Hollywood, through comedy, um, but they do it in ways that don't emphasize their Jewishness. And the Marx Brothers are an excellent example of that. 
When does it change, David? I mean, the Holocaust is a turning point because that changes, that, that slowly begins to, uh, uh, for one, it's a, it's a kind of demarcation. It's after the Holocaust, Jews in America within a decade or two come to be seen in ways that they hadn't been as part of the white mainstream. And there's many like complicated historical, cultural and political factors for that, uh, which I don't think we have time to get deeply into. Um, but basically like by the 1960s and 70s, um, partly because of America's role in World War II and the role of Jews fighting in World War II and the emerging consciousness about the Holocaust, uh, it's, it becomes easier to be Jewish publicly and to represent Jewishness. And so through, and we see depictions of Jews during the Holocaust. So, you know, the diary of Anne Frank, uh, becomes a really popular book in the 1950s. There's a play made of it. There's a film. Um, we see the works of Leon Orris emphasize the Holocaust in really public, popular ways. We see public exhibitions, memorials staged. So the Holocaust becomes something that creates this like entry point for people to look at Jews and s- sort of see Jewish life and culture and makes it palatable for Jews then to appear in, in film and, and, and in this new medium, this emerging medium, television as well. And that's a big turning point. When you talk about television, we have to think of Fran Drescher, um, and, but now we already, well, we're in the 80s, I think, at, at this point. Who precedes her? Is she a defining character? Fran Drescher is enormously important. So The Nanny comes on TV in 1993. It runs through to 1999. And, you know, the, the character of Fran Fine is an enormous milestone. I'm actually writing a book about this at the moment, um, about just how important the nanny is in bringing a particular kind of Jewishness to the screen. So what we had by then was already a generation of this particularly Jewish man, right, that we see emerge with Woody Allen in the 1970s, uh, that neurotic sort of womanizing Jewish man who is, you know, like kind of, embodying many negative stereotypes of Jews. They have a difficult relationship with their mother, the stereotypes of Jewish women that had emerged at the same time. And this is partly because of people like Woody Allen are really negative. So you have the the overbearing and nagging Jewish mother. You have the Jap stereotype, the Jewish American princess. And along comes Fran Drescher and turns these on their head. You know, she basically makes fun of these really harmful stereotypes of Jewish women and turns them into lovable traits. And she does it with the most amount of Yiddish, the most widely um, represented Jewish family that we'd seen probably since the Goldbergs in the 1950s on TV. You know, we'd, Seinfeld had helped pave the way for that. Seinfeld comes on TV in 1989. Mad About You is on TV before that. And, and these are showing that same kind of Schlemiel character that we'd seen before. But Fran Drescher shows this powerful Jewish woman who outsmarts everyone around her, who has a solution for everything, who is working class, who is, looks really different to the kind of standards and ideals of beauty. She has this big 
and I'm gesturing with my hands here, this big, you know, curly black hair that TV love interest did not have at the time. Like the other famous Jewish women on TV around the same time were Monica Geller and Rachel Green in Friends, both played by non-Jewish actors and really different kinds of representations, like a much more low-key Jewishness. So Fran Drescher comes along and just completely changes what's possible in terms of representing Jews. And all the Jewish shows that have come since, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Transparent, Broad City, I Argue Sex in the City, they just owe an enormous debt of gratitude to what Fran Drescher put on um, a network TV show. Dr. Slicky, was it dangerous in a, at some level for Fran to do what she did? Was it provocative? Was it? I mean, I think it was the danger was that the show would not have gotten picked up or it might not have got a big audience. And, you know, she was told by the CBS executives that the nanny character should be Italian because a Jewish storyline wouldn't resonate broadly. And she said, well, I can't do that. I can't. That's not my life. I can't represent an Italian family. So she insisted on that. And, you know, like she got criticized by critics and like TV critics and scholars in the nineties and early two thousands who said that she was peddling harmful stereotypes of Jewish women, particularly the Jewish mother and the Jap. But I actually look at it and think, you know, I grew up on the nanny and I was very fond of it, uh, as a, you know, 10 through to adolescent year old. <laughs> and I look back on it now and think it's an in- you know, I think to read those as negative stereotypes rather than turning those negative stereotypes into something lovable. Cause in the end, like they're the normal family in that show. The fines are the ones that teach the Sheffields how to be a mishpocha, not the other way. You know, it's them. They kind of represent the American ideal of family much more than the Upper East Side you know, sort of stiff upper lip British American family. Dr. Slucky, who are the modern Jewish humorous comedians who, and, and what have they brought to the party? I mean, there's so many, you know, that in the, they used to say that in the 1970s and eighties, something like 70% of working professional comedians were Jewish. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure that percentage is not that high now, but I'm always surprised just how how many Jews are still working professionally as comedians, as comedy writers, um, as comedic actors. And, you know, I think there's some really important figures out there. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Broad City, um, of Alana Glazer and Abby Jacobson. That The series finished a couple of years ago, but, you know, it brings this completely different sensibility, this millennial Jewish sensibility that reflects in some ways like a deep ethnic pride, like, but also kind of trying to figure out what it means to be Jewish, you know, generations removed from being immigrants from the Holocaust. It's not, you know, they, they sort of deal with themes of Israel at some point, but they're kind of alienated from it. And so they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be an American Jew, a young American, a young woman, um, it's very sex positive. 
so I think, you know, I, I really think that that's an important series. I really like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend from Rachel Bloom. It's a musical. And, you know, it also, like, turns those negative stereotypes about Jewish women on their head. I mean, the the, the mother character in that is played by um, Tova Felcher, I guess, is is pretty negatively portrayed. But, you know, like, it's there's a lot of pathos in there, it, you know, through all the sort of crass humor. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I've always been a fan of Sarah Silverman, I think. And I, and I, what I really like about Sarah Silverman is to watch how as a comedian, she's evolved through her career and how, you know, she's very willing to say like, what I said in a joke 20 years ago, like, I wouldn't say that today. And I apologize to the person I said it about because I, I look back and I've learned from that and recognizing like the rules change, like the world changes and, you know, we have to like move with that. And she doesn't like blatant complain about PC culture or anything like that. Like she, she listens to people and she takes that on board. And, you know, I think her approach is just incredibly um, refreshing in a way because so many comedians complain about um that they can't say what they want to say or whatever or they'll be cancelled or things like that but you know i think sarah silverman has a very mature attitude to that so i mean it's clear by the way if it wasn't from the examples i've given that jewish women are leading like i think some of the most interesting contemporary Jewish comedy at the moment. Much of what we've spoken about, except possibly for Sasha Baron Cohen, has been American. Are they leading the way? And is there, is, is humor translated over, over the channel? Yes. I mean, there's like, there's, there's very, um, funny and important Israeli satirical TV series. Like is, Israel particularly, I think, excels at sketch comedy. They have some really iconic sketch comedy shows that have been running quite a long time. You know, Sasha Baron Cohen is obviously, he, he crosses the channel. He goes both ways and he's controversial. You know, I, sometimes I watch him and I think he's a genius. And sometimes I watch him and think, Oh, like that there's a kind of ethical gray area that I'm not so sure about. But you know, I think he's a good example of someone who's figured out how to talk to a, a sort of more global audience. And I think that that can be quite rare because like American Jewish life and culture is pretty particular to that time and place. So if you're going to represent that, that doesn't always translate so well when you move outside America. Like I teach students in Australia now and they're not as immersed in the same kind of culture. So when I taught American sitcoms to students when I lived in America, they understood it more readily. Like they understood the cultural context that the jokes were making sense of and that's a bit harder when you move overseas dr slicky i can't believe we've actually run out of time dr slicky thank you so much for joining me and i look forward to our next conversation oh thank you so much this was so much fun that was dr david slicky he is associate professor australian center for jewish civilization and an expert on jewish life at monash university